Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Champions League is back and we cannot wait for it to start on Optus Sport next week. We've got a big preview for you on this week's Gagging Pod. David Wiener with you, joined by Socceroos legends John Aloisi, Paul Ocon and the Herald Suns, Dave Davidovich. What a show we've got for you. We talk about the biggest talking points from the UEFA qualifying action on your screens this week. Javi Gracia sacked after four games. We dissect that and so much more. So much to get into. Let's get started. Johnny, Paolo, great to have you guys back at uh, Optus again this week. Welcome. Great to be here. Good to see you. And, uh, well, we're rolling out. We've got two luminaries of the podcast here with us, but we've got a debutante as well. David Davudovich from the Herald Sun in Melbourne. Welcome. Welcome to Sydney. Welcome to Optus Sport. Great to have you here. Great to be here. Mature age debutante, unlike these two, I think, made their senior debuts at the age of about 13 or 14. (laughs) Now, they're, they're veterans of the, of the gag and pod, but great to have you here as well. We're going to rip right into it. We're going to start with Javi Gracia, as I mentioned, off the top. Sacked four games into the Premier League season. This time last year, Johnny, he was top of the table. FA Cup finalist last season. Gone after four games, one point. Well, I was going to say who'd be a coach, but it's probably a fitting question, isn't it? Look, it's incredible. I, I know they, they ended the season badly, and, and what didn't help was uh, the FA Cup final. Even though they made it, losing 6-0 on the world stage because FA Cup, everyone watches, and uh, he, he wasn't able to recover from that. The disappointing thing is, if they were going to make a change, why not make it in the off-season if they weren't happy with him? Four games in, and within a half hour, Sanchez Flores gets appointed. Mm doesn't look great, especially 11 managers in the last eight seasons. Well, you know there's been work done behind the scenes then. You know, the, the knives have been out. But in all honesty, four games, is that enough to know that your season is doomed and needs to change? As a coach, what can you possibly have achieved or not in that four games? He said himself he was completely shocked, given that he got them to the best of a finish last season in their Premier League history. Yeah, indeed. And I think if you rewind 12 months ago, at this time of the EPL season last year, they were actually first after four rounds. So I think Johnny made a good point about the, the ending of last season and obviously the, the very disappointing uh, FA Cup uh, uh, loss to Man City. But let's also not forget on the first game of the season, opening game of the season, they lose to Brighton at home. And... Uh, Two subsequent games after that, results haven't been great against teams that are also going to be sort of in and around Watford on the table. So I think they've gone, hang on, well, what's going to happen when we start playing the bigger teams? Um, when, you know, we're not sort of expected to get points against them. It's those other teams like the Brightons, like West Ham, like Everton, uh, where they needed uh, to get uh, more points. So I think they've uh, anticipated what they probably see as, uh, you know, results not going to get better and have made the, the tough decision. It's an intriguing one. Look, sometimes coaches are sacked and the replacement's an afterthought, <clears throat> the Matildas. Um, <laughs> but 
I think in this case it had less to do with Harvey Garcia and the fact that Kike Sanchez Flores was available um, and they, they pounced. I mean, he's been out of a job. I'm not sure if there were other clubs sniffing, but sort of took me back to, I think it was 2013, when Southampton got rid of Nigel Atkins. He got him promoted twice on the bounce, and they were in the relegation zone, but everyone thought he was really stiff to get sacked. But the reason they did that was because Pochettino was available. He'd just left Espanyol, um, and they brought him in. And uh, he wasn't popular when he started at Southampton. Obviously, the, the rest is history. Obviously, uh, in this case, uh, Sanchez Flores does have history with the club. It'll be really interesting to see how the Watford fans do react, however. It will be interesting. Look, I, I, Sanchez Flores is an experienced manager. He, uh, he's been you know, all over the world recently in China with Shanghai Shenhua. He knows the club. He's been there. He was there a couple of seasons ago. Did really well. Uh, Espanol, he was brilliant. Um, so I think he will do a good job. And this period, you're talking about uh, they've got a hard couple of weeks coming up. They've got some difficult opposition. Arsenal at home, then City and Wolverhampton away. So it was, as you sort of said, Paolo, it was like that line in the sand. Do you go the Pozzo family and known for being trigger happy? As you mentioned, Johnny, the 11th, in, 11th managerial change in, the, in their tenure. But what kind of working environment is that for any manager? Why is Flores, is he crazy going back for another dip? Knowing well, it's no different in Spain. It happens all the time, uh, especially in the... It, it, it's happened less in in uh, the Premier League over years, but uh, now, you know, with foreign ownership, it's starting to happen a little bit more. In Spain, it happens quite often. You'll get uh, some clubs that would turn over three managers in one season. Is it ideal? No. Uh, does it give them, uh, you know, th- that security? No. But they have to believe in themselves. And if you see, like, the, the coach's voice, which uh, Kike sanchez Flores mm. spo- uh, spoke on, he, he says that... You have to have a confidence in what you're doing and, and a belief. And obviously he's got that belief that he can step into Watford and get results and, uh, and put him in a good position. Uh, Flores seems to have a better CV. He's coached at some big clubs. Um, do you have any views on either of them or how they're viewed over in Spain? And uh, I think there, would, there was a bit of overlap with your career and uh, I think Flores is yeah. in particular. Flores was at Atletico Madrid when I was in Spain. Uh, and he, he also was at Valencia. Yep. So he's, um, at that time, he was pretty defensive with the plays he had. He's changed in, uh, over the years. With Espanyol, they, they played a lot more attacking uh, football, um, but th- he's well regarded in Spain. But also, is, uh, Javi Gracia is very well regarded. Mm-hmm. He's only young. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was at Osasuna uh, not long ago, did really well there, did well with Malaga. He's, he's well regarded in Spain. So both of them, uh, you know, being Spanish coaches, I'm sure that Javi Gracia will be able to go get a job. Hard done by? Very, oh, I think hard done by. Uh, I... I think hard done by, but you know that's the nature of the beast in in uh, world football at the moment. With uh, if you don't get a few good results, all of a sudden you're gone. Yeah, well, Flores is known for his defensive work, as you say, and uh, Watford hadn't kept a clean sheet since February, so that's obviously there where they were concerned. And that's Interesting their one. Are they going to spy on each other this weekend? They're training grounds, pal, and you would know Watford and Arsenal are literally side by side. You can peek over the fence and have a look to see what they're doing. And they won't be able to hide the language barrier either because both being Spanish yeah. coaches. Well, Maybe they could get Bielsa to help them out. Yeah. Get the binoculars out. Uh, is he going to rescue them? That's the question. Bottom now, bit of momentum to turn around. Are they going to be safe? Look, he's got plenty of time to do that. And, uh, um, you know, he's... He knows the landscapes of the football club. Um, I don't think he's going to need too much time to you know, resettle back in. He's already worked there. Uh, he knows the English Premier League. 
um, an experienced coach. So, look, I, I think probably the only thing for, for teams like Watford um, that are probably going to be from middle to, to bottom, a lot will depend on you know, injuries, suspensions, luck, um, whether or not uh, he'll be able to, uh, to keep them up. I think they've got too much firepower. I think they'll, they'll stay up. They obviously signed Welbeck um, in the off-season. Dini Delafeu scored goals last year. And the one thing where the London clubs do have advantages, even the smaller ones, it's a place where players want to live. I mean, you guys would, uh, would attest to that. Yeah, look, I, I think that he'll keep them up. I still think that it's it's too early to say who's going to be challenging or, or who, who will end up going down. We're talking about Sheffield United has had a good start, mm. but it's very early. You know, a lot of the, uh, these teams, it depends on their squad. I think Watford have got a good enough squad to actually be mid-table. Well, we'll see what happens. And we'll also see whether firing the trigger, which has worked for Watford so far, a little bit like, say, Chelsea, where it's almost forgiven because that, that's what Watford do. So good luck to you, to Flores, for, to you, Flores for taking the job. Who'd be a coach? It's a tough gig, but <laughs> we'll see how they go. He said what? Boys, did you see this one on the weekend in the uh, in the UEFA qualifying? Did you like that? Oh, everyone likes it the first time. Superb. <laughs> High quality here on the Gagan Pod. Uh, did you see the gaff at the France game with Albania's national anthem? And uh, it was, they played the Andorra anthem and they apologised. The ground announcer apologised to the Armenian national team for playing the wrong anthem. It was real shambles, and they had to delay the game until it was uh, <laughs> until it was fixed. Albania's president Eddie Rama he said in a statement that President Macron has offered me his sincere apology for this scandal blunder of the French Football Federation with our national anthem. The French president considered this blunder an unacceptable mistake and appreciated the response of our players. This took me back to, you must have seen some things boys on the road in World Cup qualifying in your day. Oceania. <laughs> this, this has got to remind you of something along the traps. No, I, I, I to be honest uh, it's, it, it all went well. Um, I can't remember any uh, slip-ups from, from any of the host nations um, in regards to, you know, to, to national anthems. Probably been involved in a few where you can't hear it um, because of the noise. Um, supporters from the other team whistling and, and jeering, but listening, standing there, not listening to uh, Advanced Australia Fair, no, it, it never, maybe, I don't know, Johnny. <laughs> no, the only thing that I can say is that... Uh, the weirdest thing, and it wasn't weird, it was actually exciting, was uh, we, we were playing, uh, a, I'm pretty sure it was against either South Africa or Denmark at Loftus uh, Road, uh, QPR's ground, and um, a national anthem started and it was Jimmy Barnes. That was the first time <laughs> I heard Advanced Australia Fair sound like a rock song. So it was belting it out live. <laughs> it was belting it out live. So that was, that was the most interesting thing. You revved up. He <laughs> did get us revved up because he came in the chamber room and uh, after and it was exciting to see someone like John, Jimmy Barnes. John Travolta against Uruguay and Jimmy Barnes <laughs> over at Loftus Road. Dave, it's amazing that kind of thing can happen in this day and age, though. It's, <laughs> it's not the first time it's happened, no, though. It, it, won't, it won't be the last. It's no. happened in tennis. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I'm sure that the French players wouldn't have known there was a wrong national anthem, so they would have been like a little bit stunned themselves. No one knew. The commentators didn't know. And the funny thing is, there was a couple of the Albanians that were actually singing to the anthem. <laughs> <laughs> the vision was extraordinary. They've gone, you know, as the cameras pan player by player. So the first few have got a bemused look. Then there's a couple that try and sort of sing and carry on. And then others are sort of looking around going, what's going on? And uh, I'll tell you what, if there's a few countries whose anthems you don't want to stuff up. And in and around that Balkan yeah. region... <laughs> Uh, they get pretty fiery, so um, some repercussions there. However, not as bad as uh, 
there was the shooting championships, I think, back in 2012, and uh, they actually played a parody song from Sasha Baron Cohen's uh, film <laughs> Borat instead of the Kazakhstan <laughs> national anthem, and that was an absolute shambles. <laughs> that's what's that, that, what's that saying? That, that's art becoming life or art imitating life or whatever it is, but it takes over. Dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. On to football matters. And you're right, Dave. I think uh, President Macron's apology was very well placed uh, after the game there. France won 4-1. Um, on to football matters, we've had five days now out of six of, of qualifying action on Optus Sport. It's been exceptionally busy and, and brilliant to see all this, uh, all this action live on our screens. England play Kosovo on Wednesday. And uh, Gareth Southgate's comments uh, in the lead-up to this game have been quite interesting. We've been talking about his front three. He says, they are, I think they're as exciting as anything on the planet. I think they possibly don't believe how good they are because sometimes they don't view themselves as others do. Yet Jaden Sancho's coming in for Marcus Rashford, John, uh, to play alongside Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling. In international football's scheme of things, where does that attacking lineup place England, um, and particularly in that attacking starts, it's, it's not bad. As good as any. Yeah. It, it's incredible. When you look at the pace, so it's a little bit similar to the way Liverpool set up with their, you know, Firmino up top, you've got Kane, that can actually drop in, uh, in between the lines, actually sometimes drag centre-backs out where they don't want to, and then you've got pace like Sterling, Rashford, and Jado Sancho. It, it, it's incredible, really, and, and they're only young. When, mm. when Jado Sancho... He's, uh, he's a kid still. So the, I think that this generation of English players is as good as they've had for a long, long time and you expect them to be there or thereabouts winning tournaments very soon. Well, you look at his in the wings too. Uh, you know, Tammy Abraham's not in this squad. Callum hudson is injured. Uh, Callum Wilson's available. As we said, Rashford's not he's in this He's still got Mason in Mount in this squad as yeah, well. Yeah, so it, it's decent cavalry there. Absolutely. I mean, it sort of takes you back from an England viewpoint that Euro 96, 98 World Cup era where they had a just a plethora of strikers. Shearer, who ended up retiring uh, early and, and sharing him. And, um, Old you know, coming through in 98. Yeah, correct. So Heskey as well, uh, thereabouts, and, and many others, and some great players who couldn't even get into that side. But the beauty of this one is, as you touched on, J.A., their best is ahead of them. I mean, Harry Kane, 26, Sterling, 24, Rashford, 21, Sancho, 19. And I think England is really benefiting from the Premier League, the rise of the Premier League. And you look at who's coaching and Pochettino for Kane, Guardiola, and then Rashford's had, I mean, he's got Solskjaer at the moment, but he's had Mourinho and Van Hull. But you look at just Sterling alone, how much he's improved under the guidance of Guardiola. I think uh, the English national team's very lucky. They're very also very lucky with Group A, which is uh, Kosovo, Czech Republic, Montenegro and Bulgaria. They so still they have to beat them. They, they do. And the thing is, this time, Paolo, is they're actually they're, they're winning well. These aren't scratchy wins. Um, attacking stock's fantastic. The rest of England's side, are they a team that you can see that can kick on one year from now? Absolutely. You just have to, once again, rewind back uh, not so long ago to the World Cup um, and their performances there. Um, and, and it's carried on, and, and I think that's a credit... Uh, to Gareth uh, Southgate. Um, let's not forget the little uh, unfortunate mistake that Stones uh, came up with uh, in the Nations League um, and, and the support that he got from not only Gareth Southgate but from everyone because that's the way England want to play and, and, and there's going to be those moments. Uh, but, you know, certainly uh, they're, in a, they're in a group at the moment that isn't too difficult, but... We all know what comes with playing for England, and that's a hell of a lot of expectation. Um, and you know, as long as they can deal with that and continue to to, to perform, which I'm, I'm, I have no doubt they will, 
Um, I, I reckon they're a force. And Southgate deserves a lot of credit for being able to manage that expectation. The way he handled that at the World Cup was first class. I mean, we've all lived in the UK and we've seen the, the tabloids ahead of a tournament. I mean, they build the team up, build the team up, and then obviously they <laughs> it cracks at some stage, beat the second round quarters or semis. But the way Southgate was able to almost manipulate it and um, the way he's been able to keep these players grounded is an absolute credit to him. Give credit to the FA as well, appointing Southgate, because Southgate mm. really wasn't that successful at Middlesbrough. He went into the under-21 setup with uh, England, and um, and they gave him an opportunity. They saw something in him, and they believed in him, and uh, and he's shown that he can. He can deal with the pressure. He can deal with squad of egos. They don't look like a squad of egos. We go back to yeah. 96 and 98. I'd say 98 more so, you know... You, you, you see Owen now coming out making comments about Beckham and, and, and whatever else about the sending off. You don't see this group of players like that. You see them that they're actually friends mm. off the pitch. You, you can see them that, uh, looking after one each other, one another, and uh, and that's down to Gareth Southgate. Culture. Yeah. So, Paolo, you played with Southgate, didn't you, at Middlesbrough? Tell us a bit about him. I mean, are you surprised at how well he's done as a manager? Um, yes and no. Of course... Uh um, now Johnny just mentioned uh, his experience with Middlesbrough. I think he was there when they got relegated. So a tough first-up job for him. But uh, I guess you probably don't know what works until you've actually tried it. And, and, and um, yeah, he, he moved on to, to, to coach uh, in uh, the youth uh, with uh, the England team. But, you know, off the field, he's a really, really, really humble person. Um, level-headed, um, was like that as a player. So I think that that's, that calmness... Uh, he's brought uh, at sort of you know really really important moments throughout the World Cup where England was going to be asked some difficult questions and he managed to uh, to take that pressure off off the players and let's not forget Mark Schwarzer when he when 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 he spoke about it during the World Cup where he said that uh, he in his experience playing in England a lot of his teammates that played for England didn't want to go and play Mm. for England when, when, mm. when they got called up. Yeah. And, That's because and of the ego factor. And, 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 and you look pressure. at them now and, and the way they're playing and, 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 and the enjoyment they, they, they're getting of, of playing for England at the moment, I see that as a real big uh, strong point it's for them. Schwartz actually played under Southgate at mm. Middlesbrough and swears by him as a man manager and a character. And you look at the depth of England that you saw that he's trying to cultivate and Kyle Walker wasn't picked in this squad and he had Trent Alexander-Arnold, uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka who pulled out injured and uh, Kieran Trippier who was picked as well. So that's a Nice yeah. little summary of, of the options they've got. And the way he managed the Rooney, you know, situation and all that, he just has not put a foot wrong at all. And um, alongside two of the better dress managers, arguably the best <laughs> dress managers uh, in A-League history, um, not a bad outfit either, is it, with the waistcoat? I didn't like how <laughs> Phil Neville tried to copy Matt the Women's it World Cup with the waistcoat. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it for Gareth Southgate. He actually looks good in it. Hey, one question, Johnny, to you pertaining to England, man management, and also to Manchester United, is Marcus Rashford, because there's a few concerns at the moment about whether they get Solskjaer and Southgate, again, the best out of him as a finisher, as a number nine. Where do you see his progress at now that he's really got to take on that responsibility for club and country? He's still young, so he's still one of those players that will improve in his finishing. He's, he's got so much pace. You, you, you can't buy that. Uh, I, I think he's, he's improved a lot over the last few seasons. I, I think he's going to get better. At the moment, it's unfair for Manchester United to put all the pressure on Rashford and say we need him to be our saviour. There, there's a lot more going on. 
at Manchester United. You know, we, we talk about uh, last season. Now this season was uh, Solskjaer. There's a real a lot of pressure in terms of the way they're playing. I think what Solskjaer tried to do with his front three is play more of a counter-attacking. But then what happens when Southampton go one one man down and they sit off? They haven't got that extra bit of quality to break them down. And um, I think Rashford, uh, I still think his progress is, is going well. Do you think he's number nine or more someone coming off the left? I think he's someone coming off the left, personally. I think that uh, Kane's your perfect number nine that it can actually link up and, and then you've got space for Rashford to run in behind, you've got space for Sterling to run in behind. I think the way he's set up, the England national team, is perfect for them. You couldn't have scripted it better from an England national team viewpoint, could you? I mean, they all pretty much play the, the three different um, roles for their clubs. But I was lucky enough to see Rashford first-hand over in Perth. Manchester United just had the uh, the tour there in July, the games against Leeds United and um, and Perth Glory. And watching him at training, his finishing is outrageous. Like he, he's just—he's got a lot of tricks, and he very much modelled himself on Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo. And uh, his first game of football, I believe, uh, or one of his first ones, was uh, a Champions League game at Old Trafford, where Ronaldo scored a hat trick. And you can see a bit of Ronaldo in him. He's uh, not your typical English striker. He's got a lot of tricks, but yeah, his finishing in those warm-ups and at training was just. Unbelievable. Uh, well, by the time you listen to this, uh, you may or may not have seen the result with Kosovo travelling to Wembley to play against England. What a fairy tale for Kosovo, possibly making it to the to the Euros, and they're a really, really good chance. So we'll see how that plays out. What else has taken your uh, interest in, in the qualifying? There's so much to choose from, Paolo. What's uh, what have you been focusing on? Yeah, look, uh, I, I think um, you know the, the top nations, the nations that we all expect to, to qualify, are, are already um, you know leading their groups. Uh, I think. Uh, apart from the obvious ones, England, Belgium, you know, Holland, Spain, uh, you know, the Ukraine. Mm. I think uh, under Shevchenko, who is probably not uh, your most experienced uh, uh, manager, and I, and I think, um, I dare say, uh, this is probably his first big uh, um, big job as a coach. Uh, they're top of the group, um, undefeated, uh, and they have Portugal and, and, and Serbia uh, in, a tough the, group. in there also. Uh, I have to say that they haven't... Um, they've played Portugal and uh, they, uh, they drew against them um, they've still got to play them again and obviously Serbia so their harder games are going to come up but uh, you know he's got maximum points so far and, uh, and uh, you know they're going well yeah 13 points top of group B Portugal fifth uh, a big win over Serbia 4-2 in, in, in this uh, group of fixtures Luxembourg third on four Serbia they were in second spot they've dropped down now on four points and Lithuania bring up the table with one what about you Johnny? The Italian national team, after not qualifying for the World Cup, and it was a disaster, uh, Mancini's come in and he's, he's changed things. You know, he, he hasn't been afraid to bring in young players, also experienced players. Uh, Ciro Immobile scored uh, an important goal the other day against Finland. And just watching him, you know, they're not uh, what everyone expects of the Italian side, you know, that they're hard to beat and whatever else. They take the game to the opposition. They've got so many skillful players now, the Italians, that they've really come a long way. And, you know, the way he's got them working and playing together, six wins out of six, they will qualify. And I think that they're, they're going to be dangerous in, in a major tournament with Mancini. Well, it's interesting because it's kind of come at a time that Serie A's got a bit of romance about it again. And, and Paolo, there's some good quality young players all across this Italian lineup, from Donnarumma all the way to up top. Well, I guess when you don't qualify for a World Cup, um, that means you have some issues. It can't only be the coach's fault. 
Um, there's a number of things that, that go into it. Uh, obviously, the coach, uh, the domestic competition, uh, and and the players. Uh, so, you know, Mancini's been brave. Uh, we saw that already from the start of the Nations League where he put out to pasture a few of the mm. older ones and really rejuvenated uh, this team. And uh, he's in such a short space of time, and credit to him, because he's been very brave about it, because we all know with the Italian national team, uh, you no ma- patience. No patience. You can't lose mm-hmm. um, after six games undefeated and, and in a really, really good position. And, and off the back of that, um, as you mentioned, uh, the Serie A this season, I wouldn't say it's back. It's back to what we were sort of used to as we were all it's more uh, exciting, uh, young kids. But certainly it's, uh, you know, I think that sort of changed a little bit last year with the signing of, uh, of Ronaldo. Yeah, that certainly helps. It's a really interesting point you make about uh, Mancini, Italy. I mean, we saw it with Netherlands as well. Um, a lot of younger players coming through. I think they were fortuitous with that, you know, fantastic Ajax generation. But when nations miss out on a World Cup, it almost forces them to, you know, look look at the mirror and um, make some some really hard decisions. Takes me back to Croatia after the '98 World Cup, and they finished third. And I think they were partying for the next six months, which probably <laughs> didn't help their Euro. Uh, 2000 qualifiers and then they ended up missing out and in hindsight a few players and even the coach said well perhaps we should have you know moved some of those guys on but it takes me to Croatia in uh, the current qualifiers and Croatia's done what Croatia does they've smashed Slovakia then they've drawn to Azerbaijan (laughs) so the uh, heavyweights were actually coached by Nikola Jurcevic former Croatian uh, international striker um, and also the assistant coach to Slaven Bilic uh, for a long time with the national team but um yeah, I mean, you touched on a few of those countries. I mean, England, Spain, Belgium, Italy with a 100% record. And, um, yeah, uh, Holland with really important, a fantastic window. Two uh, big wins against Germany and uh, smashing uh, Estonia this morning 4-0. Yeah, let's talk about them quickly because uh, they're a delight to watch at the moment. And it's almost like a bit like Italy. They've gone from the dungeon to uh, unleashing a new generation, maybe cashing a bit on the Ajax momentum as well. But um, I believe the hype in, in the Dutch team? Definitely believe the hype. If you can go to Germany and beat them on home soil, then you've got a side. And you look at there, you just have to look at Van Dyke and uh, De Litt at the back. And what, a, what a back-to combo. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, Best and, on the and, and you, when you see and walk next to them, like, so I was fortunate enough to see uh, Ajax against Tottenham and see De Litt, he's a beast. Yeah, he doesn't look like it on the telly. He's a beast. And Van Dijk is uh, he's even bigger. Yeah. And uh, and they said that he was the quickest player in the Champions League over the, the whole season, recorded the, the fastest time. So Delete? No, Van, Van Dijk. Van Dijk, okay. Yeah. So they've got not only strength and pace, mm. they're also so comfortable on the ball to mm. be able to play out. And you find De Jong in midfield, yeah. and De Jong is going to be a player and a half. He he's he already is. What about that touch for the for the goal? Yeah. Uh, he's he's incredible. And and then up front, it was, the interesting one. He's still thrown in Babel. Babel, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm and doing well. Look, the guy, he's goals. playing for Galatasaray and yeah. obviously had that stint at Fulham, so the guy can clearly play. But there was that period where everyone thought he was going to go to the next level when he signed for Liverpool. But there must be some decent man management from Rommel Koeman as well because Memphis is, is a, a Memphis Depay has got a new lease of life as well. And, jeez, um, Gigi Wijnaldum was good against Germany too. But speaking of Jürgen Lowe, I mean, talk about Javi Gracia going after four games. Jürgen Lowe's had about six years to, to fix things for Germany. Uh, things aren't great for them at the moment. No. Um. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Look, they may be um, still thinking about the World Cup win uh, some time ago, and, and probably that's what's allowed him to, to continue in the job. They, they maybe feel this sense of... Uh, um, I don't know. They feel sorry for him, um, but certainly, if you look at the way they're they're, they're travelling at the moment, uh, you would expect that it has to come sooner or later. Is it a transitional moment though? They're bringing through a, a younger crop. Have they still got the players that they did have during that World Cup win? Um, look, he has been there a long period, uh, and whether they will stay with him for for much longer, you don't know. It depends. Look, they will qualify, yeah. so he's going to at least have the Euro. Uh, in the summer so we'll see but past that I don't think he'll end up going it sounds a little bit like after the scars of uh, being caught in behind so many times in the World Cup and in and around that it sounds like he's playing with the back five he's trying to be a bit more defensively sound but from what I've seen and read it looks like he's sort of bit in between at the moment knowing exactly what his team is yeah, he's definitely in between. He's trying to find uh, the system that will work best for him, but they're conceding too many goals. You know, yeah, all right, you've got to back five, but it doesn't mean that, uh, yeah. you know, you're not going to concede, and they conceded three against the Dutch. He probably needs Pep to come back and coach in Germany. <laughs> you know, it, yeah, you, you know people point. underestimate the, the, the Pep factor, that, well, that people speak about it all the time, but when he was at Barcelona, they had that crop of players coming, or well, they, they were already there at Barcelona, then they went with the Spanish national team, won Euros, won Euro, World, World Cup. Cup, and then in Germany, exactly the same. The sign of a good manager or good coach is also to know that you know you've got these group of players that are playing this system under Pep, bring him into the national team, and and allow them to play the certain same style, and that's what Gareth Southgate is doing with England. So England wins the next World Cup, probably <laughs> with Pep pulling the strings from Manchester. And as well, speaking of which, speaking of which, we're going to move now on to the Champions League because we cannot wait for that to kick off on Wednesday morning on Optus Sport. Another. Fabulous few months through to, through to May of, of action every few weeks. And so let's start with Pep because actually last night on the Optus Sport app, I watched the 2011 uh, Manchester United Barcelona. They've got 12 minute clippings of the finals and just had a look at that. It's really nice to go and have a look at the, the, the historical moments we've got there. And um, that was his last win. He's desperate to win it. Is he going to do it this year? It's funny, Van Gaal came out and uh, criticised him for not having won the Champions League uh, you know, recently. Of course he can win it. You know, he's, he's a good enough manager to win it. He's won it before. He's got an unbelievable side in Manchester City. It'll be between them and Liverpool winning the Premier League this year. But you need luck when you're talking about Champions League. You need that little bit of luck to go your way. The Llorente handball. You know, if they get through that stage, you know, they could have won it last season. Have they got an opportunity to win it this season? Yes, but so about six or yeah. seven other sides. Yeah. They're as obsessed as each other. It's a match made in heaven. City Football Group slash Manchester City and Pep Guardiola, they will go absolute hammer and tongs for it this year. I mean, 
they've got enough depth to obviously have a crack at both, go for the treble, um, etc. I mean, I think it was Jose Mourinho who said that there's four teams that can win the title this year, Man City, <laughs> Liverpool, Tottenham and Man City's B team. So I don't think that will be an issue. Laporte's a loss for him, though. Yeah, absolutely. But if he's back by the knockouts, I mean, you look at their group stage. They and it's, get knocked uh, out before then. Well, Shakhtar <laughs> the next Dinamo Zagreb Atalanta, I think... Uh, <laughs> they should get through. Turn should, it up, Johnny. They should get through. We didn't talk about uh, Belgium this morning. Kevin Bourne, three assists. Maybe is the difference this year between that fine margin and having Kevin De Bruyne back for the Champions League for, for Manchester City? Yeah, look, I, I, yeah, Pep did, did speak about that last season and I think that they did exceptionally well um, to, to, to do what they did without uh, Kevin De Bruyne's uh, um, influence. And we've already seen so early on in the season just exactly what he brings uh, on top of already what Pep's... Well, the way Man City is playing, so... Uh, he's a very, very important player, and um, you know, I, I, I think for you to win the the Champions League, everything has to align. Uh, it's one of the most difficult competitions uh, to win, and, and let's not forget that teams in in England are, I think, a little bit uh, more disadvantaged. They they find it tougher uh, because over the Christmas period is where mm. they play so many games, uh, and everyone else is on a break. Everyone else is on a break. But it makes last year's achievements all the more extraordinary when you think about it. Absolutely. I, well, yeah, what Liverpool did last year was, uh, was phenomenal. I, I, I can't see that ever being repeated. It's, for me, that was just incredible. I think Liverpool also had that luck. We talk about their front three, who I believe are probably the best in Europe as a front three, because if one of them gets injured, they struggle to really feel... Origi can come in and do a job for one or two games. But Manchester City, De Bruyne, he was out for the majority of the season and they didn't really miss him. You know, you talk about the Premier League, they won it, mm. uh, you know, and they had to win their last 14 games. So Liverpool can't do that. They can't afford to miss one of those two, uh, three players. I think Manchester City up top can afford it because, they, you know, you talk about Kunaguero, uh, Gabriel Jesus, Silva... You know, you've you got so many mm. players. Both silvers, my goodness. Yeah, it's incredible. Can we just rewind a bit? I love that Belgian pronunciation of Kevin. Can we just have that again, Paolo? Kevin de Bruyne. De Bruyne. De Bruyne. <laughs> you got that, Dave? Oh, all pronunciations go to Paolo, not Kevin de Bruyne coming, <laughs> coming from me. Um, so no repeat of the romance from Spurs or Liverpool this year, it sounds like, from your point of view. Oh, Spurs? Mm. I don't think so. I think uh, the yeah what happened to them last year was um, yeah look it was fantastic incredible we we sort of were waiting or everyone was waiting for it to come to an end at some stage uh, and it nearly did until the 95th minute when um, Lucas Moura Lucas Moura yeah. scores that. Uh, Important goal uh, away at... Uh, at, at it was outrageous. Yeah. Just thinking about <laughs> it now, it was just outrageous, yeah. wasn't it? Incredible. And, you know, we have to hand it to Pochettino that the, the substitutions that he did make in both games, and you talk about Llorente coming in, just made that difference. And then to have... But I, I agree with you. Everything had to align for them, and things had to go their way, and they went their way in the quarters. They went their way in the semi-final for them to make the final. You can see Liverpool still being there at the end of the season. But I can't see Tottenham being there. Tottenham's group, of course, with Bayern Munich, which will be interesting because there's so many actual rivalries. Like Liverpool playing Napoli again. But Tottenham, Bayern Munich's a fresh fixture um, that uh, we haven't seen for many years there with Olympiakos and Milos Degenek's uh, Ritzdal Belgrade. So he gets another uh, really, really amazing night out in Europe for, for Milos. And Liverpool with Napoli, Salzburg and Genk. Unfortunately, no Danny Vukovic, who's, uh, who's injured, of course. What, what a shattering. What yeah. about Group F? 
That, that's uh, Barcelona, Inter, Slavia, Prague and Borussia Dortmund. One of the big guns has to go out in that. Absolutely. Inter Milan have signed so well in the off-season. You know, they're looking a million bucks. They've got Antonio Conte there as manager who's got a big point to prove off the back of, you know, Chelsea. So, um, yeah, there's going to be a big gun going out in that group. I, who do you think it'll be? I think, well, uh, you know what? I think Dortmund will be the team that mm. would probably miss out. You still think Barcelona... You know, the, the, he, there's, there's going to be a lot of pressure so on them. So much pressure. So Because this, this Inter were the joker in the pack last year in their group, but they're at another level this year. Oh, Inter definitely yeah. at another level, you know, with the signings, Lukaku up top. Where, where's Valverde at? It's his third season, it's I his believe. Third it. season. So he, he's been criticised a lot in Spain because he hasn't won the Champions League. It's not because he hasn't won. It's the way he went out. You mm. know, in the quarters, uh, where they, they got smashed. Uh, I think it was against uh, Juventus. No, Roma, mm. when they, they lost uh, in Rome by four goals. Yep. And then to lose last year, yep. which they, they, they were calling for his head then. And uh, to lose against Liverpool when they're 3-0 up in the first leg and you go lose 4-0. Um, but he was able to keep his job because he won the two titles. The thing is, the players love him. The players are with him. So that's why he's able to keep his job. He's a top manager, of course. But if they don't win it this year, mm. this will be his last well, season. Particularly with Anton Griezmann there too. He's been given all the tools at his disposal. So I'll ask you this. Who's under more pressure? Valverde there at Barca. Juve. Or PSG, because for those three clubs, it's almost like this is the moment for them. They keep building and building and building. Yeah, I think uh, my uh, big friend, <laughs> Mr. Sarri, I think he's safe for the moment, um, especially coming in as a, as a new manager. But uh, along with Valverde, I think uh, Thomas Tuchel is under <laughs> enormous pressure, uh, enormous pressure. And they haven't, um, yeah, at the back end of last season, their results in in uh, in the French first division weren't great. They were yeah, miles in front, thirty or forty uh, points in front already. We know there's issues with Neymar. Um, he, we know we, we know he wanted to leave. Um, you know, they also have spent uh, um, a lot of money. So it's a given that they're going to win domestically. It's how far they go in in the Champions League. I think will decide uh, his fate yeah, as well. I think that's the advantage of Tusha. They will win. Uh, domestically, uh, and 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 depends on how far they go with Valverde. Domestically, they're not guaranteed mm. to win. You've got Atletico Madrid this year. All right, Real Madrid at the moment look like they're not going to be the side that everyone uh, thinks they're going to challenge. But you have got Sevilla up there. You've got Athletic Bilbao that are pushing this season. You, I don't know if Barcelona are guaranteed to win the domestic title. And then if they don't do well in the Champions League, it will be too difficult for him to keep his job. Yeah. And even though they have signed Griezmann. I still think Barca's very, very... Uh, a lot depends on... Messi. The little maestro, the master, if he's fit. Because you probably look at them now and, and, and they, they will have the numbers or the quality to rest him domestically. So he's fresh for Champions League. But as Johnny said, it, it's not a guarantee uh, you know, in, in that competition. Um, there's a lot of other teams that can, that can win it uh, also. Um, so watch it, that space. Th- those... Clubs slash managers are all under pressure for different reasons. I'm intrigued to see how Sari goes in his first year as manager. I, I'd get the sense that there could be some struggles ahead. I mean, he plays some fantastic football, chain-smoking former banker. Oh, you know, he'll, he'll be a, up to 100 a day. <laughs> but by the pressure of the knockout stage, he's going 100 a day, I reckon. Well, after Eumonia, I don't know if he'll be able to <laughs> smoke 100 anymore. But uh. Yeah, we obviously wish him well with, with his health. But, 
mate, there's some pretty big egos to manage in that dressing room, uh, led by 1C Ronaldo. So um, going to be int- intriguing to see how that plays out, obviously, with Inter Milan. I mean, you've still got Ancelotti there with Napoli. And um, I agree. I think the Serie A is just slowly making its way back up. i tell you who we didn't mention, and this speaks volumes in who's under the most pressure. I, we didn't mention Real Madrid. It's almost like because those other three clubs, they've been building towards this moment. They've got to win. Can Zizou come and bring the Magic Champions League dust back again? We didn't talk about the pressure on, under Zizou. There's always pressure at Real Madrid. There was pressure during pre-season when they got smashed 7-2 uh, against Atletico Madrid. That was a farce. Oh, you, you know what? He's, he's had it such a difficult off-season slash pre-season. They haven't started the season well. Um, yeah, they, they won their first game against Celta. They drew their last game against Villarreal, thanks to Bale. Mm. And, and Amazing. That he didn't want Bale, and they wanted to get rid of him. And, and the dynamics and the expectations are completely different to last time round. Last time round, he was sort of the rookie coach, the club legend. He's come back in and, you know, almost doing the club a favour. And, uh, you know, voila, they, you know, pull, out, um, pull a rabbit out of the hat. But this time round, it's like, well... You know, you've had a few other offers, and you've got the the runs on the board. So you've got to uh, you've got to do the business. You've you've got to perform. But that bail situation was was really intriguing. The way he handled that. I mean, what did you guys make of uh, of that episode? Oh, I think there's something that's happened uh, previously. Um, you know, maybe even uh, at the end of uh, of last season, or probably even when when Zidane um, you know was there as as coach. But uh, yeah, it's. Not a good situation. Um, you know, was he off to China? Zidane had said publicly in a press conference afterwards that he was expecting him to, and now here he is winning games or saving them in games again. Well, lucky. You, so you that, know, those dynamics in a, in a change room. No, it's not great, but hard I, to manage. But I look at it, and you have to think that it's a blessing in disguise that Bale's staying because you look at their front three without Benzema scoring goals, who else is going to score your goals? You know Bale can score your goals. Even when he's not playing at his best, he will still get you 15, And, and without goals. Hazard at the moment. Yeah, Hazard's a big one for him. You still know they've got the squad and the players. You know, They haven't been defensively great, but they've got Varane and Sergio Ramos, two of the best central defenders in the world there. So you think that they could still turn it around and be... Uh, a force, not only in the league, but also uh, the Absolutely, league. but the, the, the biggest worry for me is, um, and Johnny will know because he's, he's played there a few times, is at the moment, Real Madrid is vulnerable also at home, yeah. which previously you knew that on the calendar, uh, we're not going to get anything there, but at the moment, smaller teams, teams that are not expected are going there and, and, and maybe not winning, but nicking points, um, and, and that's something that we've traditionally... We, We've never ever seen. No, well, that, that makes it interesting for life for Paris Saint-Germain, Club Bruges and Galatasaray in that group. But it makes it interesting for Atletico Madrid, who are they there to not only cash in on that domestically, but I can't believe we've got Juve and Ronaldo against Atletico Madrid again by Leverkusen and Lokotov in Moscow. Atletico Madrid, your assessment of them so far? You talk about uh, teams and clubs spending well. They spent well this year. And Diego Simeone's got something that, uh, you know, obviously being an ex-player there, he knows what the supporters want. He To come back from 2-0 down against Ibar the other day and win 3-2, and the, the celebration of Simeone hugging, jumping around, going crazy, he's like one of them. He's a supporter. They've got a side to win it. They've got a side to win the league, and they've got a side to go all the way in the Champions League. With a little bit of luck, I think they've recruited really well. Their recruiting's always very 
scientific, very measured, very strategic, isn't it? As opposed to, say, I don't know, Man United, who just have this scattergun yeah. approach, or Chelsea. I mean, their, their recruiting's been spot on. And little Kieran Trippier, I mean, could end up being a little, you know, diamond in the rough. I mean, he... Uh, he said uh, he's predicted that Tottenham um, are going to uh, regret selling him, and uh, he's had a good good start to his uh, La Liga. Goals. Yeah, yeah. Well, setting up goals. I tell you, uh, it's interesting you say they've got a, a methodical approach to signing, and then you've got Diego Costa. It's like who who can Diego Simeone get the best out of? Diego Costa, who looks he looks slim, he looks half the size he was when he left Chelsea. Because uh, Diego Simeone knows what makes Diego Costa tick. You know, when you come from South America, you've you, you've got a feel of what they've grown up with, what they've had to deal with, the way that they act, the way they conduct themselves, because you you grew up like that. And I think he's got that. He also gets the best out of Morata. He also will be brilliant for Jao Felix who already oh, yeah. started oh. the season well you know and, and we're not even talking about Saul and, and, and the midfielders they got coming through you know that they've got an incredible side that could I think they'll be a force this season I was lucky enough to visit Atletico Madrid's training headquarters with Bridgie he might have told you about the story one of the world's greatest junkets that we went on ahead of the uh, the ICC tournament a few years ago beautiful little training ground and we, we really enjoyed our time there but remember seeing Diego Simeone walk past and I've met you know a lot of managers in world football not always personally just see them in a press conference type setting or whatever and dead set Simeone he walked past didn't say anything but he's the most intimidating manager I have ever seen he's just a scary bloke I was going to go and say g'day and ask for a photo but did he try and tackle you Dave? (laughs) (laughs) He could easily go down as one of the bad guys in a film can't he? (laughs) Just the way he The black suit the slick back hair sometimes he doesn't put any product in there and lets it frizz which is uh, interesting in itself just to keep people on their toes but yeah mate if um Diego Simeone tells Diego Costa you got to lose four kilos Diego Costa ain't saying uh ain't saying no I tell you what after Bridgie last week made global headlines with his analysis of Alan Shearer and Michael Owen we gave him the week off this week to try and take him out of the you've brought back another Bridgie story it's keep keeping we're keeping him under the radar ask him about our fantastic dinner over in Turin one of the great nights very nice well to round out that we haven't spoken about group G and group H but these are two very open groups Zenit, Benfica, Lyon and Leipzig that is the group of life and then Chelsea who could have who who rolled into the top top pot thanks to the Europa League win and then could have had it a lot worse than Ajax, Valencia and Lille Um, any jokers in the pack there Johnny? Oh, I think that's a pretty even group. Um, look, Valencia have had uh, trouble off-field uh, with, with their owner. They um, they lost their football director at the beginning of, uh, well, during pre-season. They haven't had the best of starts. They've still got a top manager. I, I think that uh, they've got good enough squad to do well. But um, they're not the force that they were years ago when, when you're talking about 10, 15 years ago under Benitez. Uh, you know, Valencia are uh, a good side, but I don't think they're going to be... Uh, a side that could trouble too many teams in the Champions League. Chelsea are the ones I'm really looking forward to watching. It's a, an interesting one for Frank Lampard. It's a big job for him in the Premier League. He's only coached for one year. Like, extraordinary to give him the job. However, you know, with the transfer ban and, you know, all the young players coming in, expectations are far lower from the fans. I don't think anyone genuinely expects them to win the title this season and some of the youngsters have popped up and scored some goals and and played well so it could be a a good one for them at league and and Champions League level I don't think they're going to win but I reckon they could could, uh, cause a few upsets they might need, in a way, when you look at the uh, two games against Norwich and Sheffield United, which they were so open and entertaining, but then we saw against Liverpool how actually they were capable of being a bit more disciplined. That might actually almost be the tonic for them to actually 
mature up a little bit yeah. in this in this road. And that Man United loss, I mean, they didn't lose to deserve to get whacked um, as they did. So they'll they'll get. I've better. actually been excited watching Chelsea. Mm. They're they're an exciting football team to watch. I think that Frank Lampard will be a, a, a top manager. I I just like the way he um, he speaks, the way he conducts himself, the the, the actual. Uh, I know that he's had a lot of players um, coming through that he's had to play, the younger players, but he's been brave enough to mm. keep on playing them. You know, Mason Mount, uh, Tammy Abraham, they're coming along and scoring goals and being their better players. And I take my hat off to Frank Lampard. I, again, the pressure's not on him, but you're still at a club like Chelsea. Absolutely. Mm. He did a sterling job with Derby last year. I was at the championship playoff, uh, thanks to Mila Jednak, scored a... Uh, a ticket at the last minute, it was a fantastic occasion. But, um, yeah, I mean, they were within a whisker of, of getting promoted. And, again, you know, him taking that job at the start of the season, they were long odds to do that. Well, boys, crystal ball out. Um, who who are you tipping? That's, well, it's way too early, but, of course, we're going to ask. And also, of all the – we talked about pressure. Who is going to slip up? And I'll let you define slip up, whether it's not getting out of the group or, or get bowing out before they want to. But uh, what are the early gut feels for this season? Who's brave enough to go first? Go, Paolo. Yeah, look, uh, again, a lot depends on Messi. If Messi isn't uh, available or for whatever reason um, is, you know, doesn't play, I can see Barca um, not getting through in that group. I can see Inter. Oh, that's a big call. Dortmund, yeah. We've got to oh. save that clip. That's going, yep. And I'm a Barca fan. So it's not something I want to see. So they're not winning it. So who's winning? I can, I can, I can. They could win it. They could win it, but they might not get out of the group. I can see a, a slip up. He said what? <laughs> Brilliant. Play it on the day they get to the final. <laughs> That's a veteran of the gag and pod playing, playing the, playing the. He the, did, the he did sit on the fence a little bit there. If Messi's not fit. Now, if Messi's fit... A lot of disclaimers in there, weren't there? <laughs> Look, it's too hard to predict who's going to win it. Who, who, can, who can predict? There's, there's, I think there's at least five or six sides that can definitely win it. Manchester City are definitely one of the favourites. Um, I think the slip-up will come from Real Madrid. I think that there's too much turmoil there. You know, one thing that you know about Real Madrid, when the actual club, and, and you, you talk about their president going a little bit against the, the coach... At the moment, Zizou is when the uh, the media start to go against him, and they've started already saying that his Spanish is not good anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, because he, he speaks French <laughs> with all the the French players, and he speaks French at home, and he speaks French with his assistant coaches, so he's losing his Spanish. Now, for them to pick up on that, Jeepers. that means they're going for him early doors. Wow! So, uh, like around a sixteen or or, or Galatasaray no, or Club Bruges. This group, but uh, I can see them easily slipping up in the next round. Double. Look, it's probably not a massive call, but considering where they finished last season, um, I reckon Ajax will struggle to get out of the group. I just get the sense that there'll be a bit of uh, Champions League hangover from last season. They've lost some fantastic players, obviously, Delete, De Jong, um, etc. So, oh, look, it's Chelsea, Valencia, Lille. Um, it's a very even group, that one. So... Um, yeah, that's my prediction. N- haven't gone as uh, as hard as you boys on my debut. Just uh, just baby steps, and to win it, I'm going to go Man City. Um, and I-, I think the man that you uh, alluded to earlier, beautifully pronounced by Paolo Kevin De Bruyne. Um, I-, I think he's at 28. He's ready to fire. Um, 
Three assists this morning and a goal for Belgium. And he's just a guy that strikes me as being hungry to improve and just works so hard on his game. And technically, he's just outrageous. Like, his passing and the, the weight of pass and all that sort of stuff is... Uh, is sublime, and I, I really think he'll take his game to the next level, and uh, he will lead Manchester City to the Champions League title. Yeah, I tipped them last year, and so I'm going to go with them again this year. Um, Not going Chelsea? <laughs> <laughs> Are you a real fan or not? <laughs> Blind optimism. I'm not going to. I think they will get out of the group. And what I will say is they are fabulous to watch, and that's been that's been absolutely brilliant. So we got City on. I'm on the fence of about six teams. I, I can't uh, oh, predict. Okay, Schwartzy. <laughs> Schwartzy sitting on the fence. You don't underestimate Atletico Madrid. Yeah. It'd be great to see them get up. Oh, it pa- would it'd be a great story. Palos tip Barca if they get out of the group. Look, Barca can win it, absolutely. <laughs> They're one of those, Johnny mentioned five, six, seven teams that can win it. But there's also a slip-up, and that depends on whether the little master is available. Brilliant. Well, there is so much to look forward to in Optus Sport. Those first group games are on on Wednesday week, as I said. And this weekend, a look ahead. The Harry Maguire Cup's on. Manchester United versus Leicester on midnight Saturday night. That'll be really interesting to watch. We talked about United a bit earlier. Uh, Liverpool, Newcastle kicks things off at 9.30pm. Tottenham, Crystal Palace, midnight. Wolverhampton, Chelsea, midnight. Norwich, Manchester City, 2.30am Sunday. Jeez, I like watching Norwich, but I do worry they could cop a few goals there. Watford against Arsenal, 1.30am on Monday morning. We'll see how Gracia goes against Arsenal after... No, Gracia, how Sanchez will go against Arsenal with his spying mission that Johnny alluded to. And the round wraps up on Tuesday morning, 5am, Aston Villa versus West Ham. So you've got football pretty much every day of this week on Optus Sport if you're up for it. So fill your boots there. What are you most looking forward to? Was it Manchester United-Leicester? Yeah. That's the one I'm looking forward to because I actually think Leicester can easily go there and win. And and then the pressure will definitely start to mount on Solskjaer. The Harry Maguire Cup. <laughs> World's most expensive defender. Um, yeah, pressure already piling on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Leicester have had a good start. Brendan Rodgers, uh, you know, fitting in beautifully there. Jamie Vardy's just loving playing uh, under him. So I'm looking forward to that one. If Man United lose... There's going to be massive pressure on Solskjaer from next week onwards. Crisis corner. Schwartz tipped in our season predictions that he would be gone by December. Uh, this will be a big symbolic defeat at home to Leicester if it happens. Since Brendan Rodgers has taken over, by the way, they're third on points behind the big two. So uh, they have a chance of finishing top four this year. I, I actually think they've got a, a good side, and under Brendan Rodgers, I actually think they could finish top four, especially Chelsea and that Manchester United. I don't think they've got what it takes to finish top four. It's a really interesting point you make, and what you just said about Atletico Madrid and the signings, I reckon you could almost apply that to Leicester. You know, they've lost so many good players, headlined by Mares, uh, obviously Maguire right. now, but they've just been very shrewd with uh, with their replacements. So. Top four, that's a big one. But, um, hey, who would have predicted them to win the title a few years ago? And it is up for grabs. It is open for business. So, uh, oh, I can't wait for that one on the weekend and all the football coming next week. And we're running out of time, but also good luck to the Socceroos, of course. I mean, that will, they might have played by the time you listen to this. So, we'll talk about that on our new show, Scores on Sunday, no doubt, on the weekend. And also uh, on the Optus Sport app, there'll be plenty of material there. And we'll discuss that next week, no doubt. Gents, thanks for dropping in. Dave, thanks for the cameo. Absolute pleasure, mate. We're going to fly you back next week for the... For the next Let's show. do it. Johnny Paolo, thanks again as always. Great to see you both. Thanks a lot, and to everyone out there, as always, until the next second pod, enjoy your football.